Welcome to Avatar with Academics. My name is Sam Mulberry, and I have never watched Avatar The Last Airbender. And I'm Annie Berglund, and I have watched it before. Annie, we have made it to Book 3 Fire, Chapter 15, Boiling Rock Part 2. We left on a cliffhanger. Yeah, and I will say, you know, just a... a I said last episode that that Boiling Rock is, you know, combined is is one of my favorite episodes. And as much as I love part one, part two is when it goes uh, from good to great and beyond. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to get into this. So should we just jump right into the summary? Just, we'll just just get going. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. So right. no business s- up top, just a summary. Yeah, no. <laughs> So we left off with Hakoda coming off of the gondola and uh, Suki and Zuko uh, and Sokka all see him arrive. So that's where we're, that's where we ended. We start episode two or part two with a sea level shot from inside the boiling rock crater. We see the gurgling boiling water surrounding the prison as if you forgot that this was in the middle of a volcano and very impossible to leave. And, uh, there's this platform where the gondola comes in. Is it gondola? Gondola. Gondola. Mm-hmm. gondola. Okay, where the gondola comes in. And uh, a warden and two guards have um, these new prisoners, including Hakoda, line up. And Sokka rushes up a flight of stairs to stand and watch with the other guards. And the warden addresses the prisoners, and he says, Welcome to the Boiling Rock. I'm sure you've all heard the horrible rumors about our little island. Well, I just want to tell you that they don't have to be true as long as you do everything I say. This reminded me, I, it's been a long time since I've seen the episode Imprisoned, but I mm. feel like the warden there says a similar thing at some point where he's just like, this doesn't need to be, you know, as, as long as you stay in line, this, you know, I don't need to be your enemy. This doesn't need to be. Or maybe that's just a thing that wardens say in TV and movies. Like it's something very familiar about him saying this. Like he's trying to be like, I'm not such a bad guy, except I will be your worst enemy if you if you cross me. Yes, exactly. And it's one of those things he's like pacing back and forth in front of the line of prisoners, which also I was like, is that something that appears in a previous episode, or is that just like warden what wardens do? They just pace I, a lot. I think it is, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Apparently the warden um the voice of the warden was uh, a warden or a warden-like figure in the TV series Prison Break. Did oh, you interesting. Ever see that, Sam? I didn't. Which you'd think okay. I would love that, right? Prison Breaks. <laughs> right. That should, that's right up my alley. I was gonna. I was gonna say, like, maybe it's familiar because you've heard him say similar things in a different show, but guess not. So he paces in front of the line of the prisoners, and he stops at Hakoda at the end, and Hakoda's head is bowed down toward the ground. And he says, look me in the eye when I'm talking to you. But Hakoda refuses. And the warden, now right up in his face, asks if he'd rather look at his shoes then. And when he says that, he kicks a foot up in the air and steps down on Hakoda's shackled hands, forcing Hakoda to bow down to the ground in front of him. Um, And at this, Sokka gasps. And the warden continues. Now, I realize this is not where this episode goes, but seeing Hakoda as like this, the, you know, the type of figure who would stand up to the authority, things like this. It's like, I feel like I would watch a Hakoda of the water tribe version of like cool hand Luke. I don't know if you've ever seen that. No, it's a, it's a Paul Newman movie from the sixties where he's in this prison camp and it's, it's all about sort of resisting the, um, 
kind of sadistic guards and stuff like this in this this prison camp um and and he ends up being kind of this christ figure you know to the prisoners in this camp and it's like yeah coda's got a little bit of cool hand luke to him if were it not for were it not for Sokka uh and his attempts to break them out of prison i feel like this could have spun in a different direction there and i would be there for that yes i could also see the paul newman hakoda connection those are two very um beautiful men (laughs) and also very just striking kind of in every way and 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 here's here's why i think um correct me if i'm wrong but hakoda has blue eyes kasaka has blue eyes right does hakoda have blue eyes as well i think so yeah and and that's like a very like like that actually makes him paul newman-y because paul newman has these like beautiful blue eyes yes yeah oh i love that and if you're enjoying listening to this, you should listen to our podcast where we just talk about how beautiful Paul Newman is. <laughs> we should, yeah, we should have that. We should at least off. do an episode of Tweet Victory that's about Paul Newman's eyes. I could talk about that forever, truly. So, um, yeah, let me know when you want to record that. All right. So the warden continues, and he says, I know exactly who you are, Hakoda of the Water Tribe. So strong-willed. <laughs> so, I... I I apologize for keep interrupting here, but when he said, I know exactly who you are, Hakoda of the Water Tribe, it made me think of there's a, a trope in movies. And one of, one of my favorite examples of it is in the movie A Few Good Men, mm-hmm. where somebody's like, you know, you don't even know who I am. And then the person like rattles off all this stuff about them. So I was exp- so there's this, this scene in A Few Good Men where Tom Cruise is like, says to Demi Moore, you don't know who I am. And she's like, I know who you are. Daniel J. Caffey, son of Lionel Caffey, graduated from Harvard, blah, and like rattles off his resume. And I was so hoping the warden would be like, I know who you are, Hakoda of the Water Tribe, and then would rattle off all this stuff about him. I really wanted him to do that. Yes, but- born this year to these parents, <laughs> just yeah. like a mini wiki bio. <laughs> exactly. I, I really, really wanted that. <laughs> Unfortunately, we don't get it, though. Instead, he says, so strong-willed. But don't worry. We'll get rid of that in time. Now look me in the eye. And this time, Hakoda slowly lifts his head and his gaze to the warden. And Hakoda's face is seething. And the warden turns to continue walking, satisfied. Uh, but as he does so, Hakoda shifts his hand slightly on the sly, and the warden trips over it and falls to the ground face first. And Sokka, watching with the guards, like, can't help but let out a little laugh. And the prisoners are ordered away to their cells because the warden is so embarrassed that he fell and wants to take it out on the prisoners. So, inside the prison, there's a a rows of cells lit by lanterns, and we see, like, floor after floor of these different individual cells it's a huge prison obviously hakoda sits on the ground inside of one of them and his head is in his arms and a door creaks open and he squints into the stream of light and who he sees is a guard in uniform who says thank goodness you're okay hakoda threatens the guard to stay back until Sokka lifts up the eye mask it's like Sokka, this didn't work the first time but why are you doing this again i love the mirroring of it though that it's like it's the shot is framed exactly the same you know they probably even use the same like prison cell artwork and just put in the characters differently i really like that yeah and if you do think about the posture of the prisoner the two prisoners in that situation we have like very confident suki (laughs) this 
<laughs> stretched out on the mat. And then we have Hakoda armed, like head in his hands, like in a very different state, maybe mm-hmm. broken by knowing what is ahead or yeah, so many, so many things you could draw from that. So Hakoda seeing Sokka, he says his name, his eyes um, fill with tears and they run and they hold each other in a long hug. Also mirroring Sokka and Suki. Yes. And Hakoda laughing says, you know, Sokka, you should be more careful with the guard outfit on. I almost punched you in the gut. And Sokka says, yeah, I ran into that problem earlier. (laughs) He admits it. So they, uh, we hear footsteps down a hallway and the warden is approaching a cell at the end. And the door squeaks open and we see that the warden uh, is entering the cell of Chitsing, who's sitting bolted to a chair. And the warden asks him if he's comfortable. And Chitsang cuts to the chase and he says, I'm not going to talk. I'm not a squealer. And the warden says, Chitsang, I only asked if you were comfortable. And Chitsang says, well, yeah, I am. And then the warden kicks down his chair and, sh- and Chitsang lands on his face. And he says, I know you and your cronies are not smart enough to come up with that little escape plan. So you're going to tell me who is. This was such an important scene because... I, you end the last episode or part one wondering like where is Chitsang's loyalty and is like mm. because he's stuck here but he also has a piece of information that he could use to uh, at least make himself more comfortable right like this is a this is a classic temptation mm. so is he gonna you know rat out uh, Sokka? Mm-hmm. And we don't get the answer right now. Right. Yeah. I really like the way they did this. Because mm-hmm. again, everything, just like the grammar joke sort of strikes you as funny. Everything about his appearance, everything we know about him is he's out for himself. So it's mm-hmm. like, what loyalty does he have to Sokka? And he, I mean, but he's also kind of unexpected too. With the grammar mm-hmm. joke, with the fact that he like looks like a brute. Like there's all of these different parts of him that it's like, it could really go any direction. Right. So we are back in Hakoda's cell and Sokka occasionally checks to see if anyone is coming, but continues to ask his dad about, you know, what happened after the invasion? Where are the rest of the warriors? He has all these questions. And Hakoda explains that the others are held at a different prison and that their captors singled out Hakoda as the leader. Same story as Suki. Um, And they sent him back to the boiling rock or sent him to the boiling rock. And he says, but before I left, I met some young women who said they knew you, Sokka. The Oshinamo fighters? And Sokka's like, oh, you mean the Kyoshi warriors? And Sokka explains that Suki, their leader, um, w- is going to go on and escape with them. I loved this so much. <laughs> um, my parents are a little older than your parents. I'm a little older than you. Uh, as a parent there is always this moment where you're like, yeah, I don't remember the name of those, that thing that the kids are up to. And you just sort of throw out a word and you hope that it's close enough. Like, I don't know if you appreciate how funny uh, the Oshinami fighters is. It's like, you know, that thing that the kids do, the Oshinami fighting, you mean, you mean the Kyoshi warriors? It's like, yeah, that's the one. Like I flipped at that joke. I think it's so, I will do this as with my kids, I will do it on purpose and I'll, I'll just like take something that they're into and just kind of like, yeah, you just shift the words around a little bit and you mean like, is is it this thing? And they're like, no, it's the, especially when they were little, that was, it was a very funny way to kind of tease them. 
That's so, yeah, I mean, that is something that Mike does with me all the time with celebrities. He'll be like, oh, yeah, Rupert Grimp. I'm like, no, that's not a, that's not a human being. He'll just, like, change things like that. Um, yeah, Ben Affleck. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, neither of these individuals are, like, hip or young, but you know what I mean. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I love that joke. It was definitely, like, an aw, dad moment. Um, and then Sokka says, and, you know, Prince Zuko... Oh, he's here too, and he's on our side now. And Hakoda looked skeptically at Sokka, and Sokka says, I know, I had the same reaction. After all he's done, it's hard to trust him, but he's proven himself, and I never would have found you without his help. And Hakoda considers this, and he asks Sokka, okay, well then what's the plan? What's the escape plan? And Sokka uh, fills his dad in on the failed attempt, and he seems really... Ho uh, hopeless, um, unsure of what to do. And Hakoda says, Sokka, there's no prison in the world that can hold two water tribe geniuses. And Sokka laughs and then says, well, we better find two. And, and they both laugh together at the joke. <laughs> they love the joke. I do, I do like this notion that uh, he's both complimenting his son <laughs> But he's also calling himself a genius in this too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's like you never trust anyone who call who considers themselves a genius. Now I realize it's a little like tongue in cheek as well, but but yeah. uh, I kind of loved it. Yeah, I like because to think cause we're it. starting to see Hakoda a little more here. Like, oh, okay, so here's who this guy is. Yeah, and I think it's also a good. Th I mean, we talk about honor and humility and hubris, and I think there. This show does a good job of saying, like, there is um, there's a healthy kind of confidence you can have in yourself. And you should have in yourself. And, like, so it's, I think it's okay that we see, like, literally a water tribe genius be like, yeah, I, I am one. And the son who I have who can, like, throw out these, like, um, genius plans based on like science and theory right and to be like yeah he's a genius too i feel like that's like a good that's like a it's a healthy kind of confidence right yeah yeah and no and the thing that's funny about it is like i buy Sokka as a water tribe genius i just for the code i'm like prove it to me first like yeah, right. i haven't seen you do much yet so yeah right like what you got imprisoned that's <laughs> like all we've seen right <laughs> i trust that you're brave but are you a genius <laughs> So later, Sokka is walking through an empty hallway, and he slides up to Zuko's prison cell door. And they talk through uh, what I wrote is the peephole. Sam, I don't know what that thing is called. I did a little. I did a little work on this because I saw this in your notes, and all I could find was uh, prison porthole. But, oh. But that was in the on, in the Urban Dictionary, so I don't think that that's like the official title for this. People might might be right, but I mean, yeah, it's the little like, uh, like the door. It's, it's the viewing hole or something, yeah. Or yeah, yeah. it's like view, view level, window or something, yeah. Yeah, eye level. You slide it open. You can only see really just like your eyes through the other side. Yeah, Pe it didn't feel people. like the internet wanted us to know what that thing is called. Yeah, it's like it wants you to be uncomfortable with what you're gonna call. Yeah, because everything <laughs> we've called it, I feel like not great about. No, me too. Oh, and it's like I'm gonna have to talk about it again in this episode. I don't want to, but um, whatever that thing is called, they're talking through it through the door, and Sokka explains that he and his dad have an escape plan. But before he can fill Zuko in on this ex escape plan. Uh, two of the guards 
uh, from before the male and female guard from the cafeteria. They're walking down a nearby flight of stairs and they confront Sokka on why he's there. And Sokka in like feigned anger says, I was just telling this dirty lowlife what I think of him. And the guards are like, there's no time for that. The warden gave them direct orders to bring Zuko to him. And Sokka's like, can I just get 10 seconds to rough him up a bit? And the guards are like, oh, okay, fine. They reluctantly agree. I like that they buy into like the zealous recruit <laughs> who who just wants to abuse prisoners. And like they seem they seem over it themselves, but they're like, Yeah, go ahead, knock yourself yeah. out. Yeah, <laughs> this is what happens. Yeah. <laughs> so then inside the cell, Sokka, we have a scene of Sokka pretending to smack Zuko. And he's making these loud sounds. He's like punching uh, Zuko's pillow like a punching bag as Zuko mm -hmm. holds it. All the while, he's whispering the plan to Zuko. Um, and it's a plan that needs a, a really big distraction in the yard. And they agree that they're going to meet in an hour, just as the guards barge into the room and see Zuko. This remind I was trying to think of what scene this reminded me of. And there's a scene in, I think it's Ocean's Eleven, where the where george clooney and um the security guard like they go into this room and the security guard's supposed to rough him up and the guard just spends the whole time like making the sounds as if he's beating up on clooney so clooney can sneak away and do yes. like heist stuff so I, I i i i very much appreciated this too yeah i love that humor so um they meet they plan to meet in an hour they need to get a distraction in the yard the guards usher Zuko down a hallway and they throw him into another cell. And he yells, I didn't do anything wrong, which is mm, a little ridiculous for Zuko to yell. <laughs> but the warden, um, but it, uh, it's not the warden who enters the room. It's May. And she says, come on, Zuko. We all know that's a lie. Loved it. I was so excited because like, I didn't know. We knew that the warden was May's uncle, but there was no real clear indication we were going to see any of that. It might just be like, oh, this is just a, you know, she comes from a family of bureaucrats and stuff. So it's like, oh, we, you know, this is just a tie and maybe it'll have some meaning at some point or we'll learn something about May. But when she shows up, this is where, as I said, if this episode goes from good to great, this is where it starts because it's like, oh, like people are going to come to this person because if May is there. I have this sense that like there's probably others there too. Yes. I also love that it's like, here's May. I mean, these boys have been in the prison for like maybe a day, right? We've seen well, we've seen nightfall and yeah. morning and it's hard to know how long it took them to figure this plan out. We know that when they said they'd be gone fishing, they said they'd be gone for a few days. So Yeah. So maybe it's been a couple days. But I just love the urgency of the warden being like, This boy broke my niece's heart i need to get i need to send out a message to her and bring her here or or it's something when he says you know oh i'll collect that there is this sense of like either he is deeply tied to family and he's like i'm gonna let may get her revenge or he's using may to get something out of zuko that he can use as leverage because maybe he doesn't want to be the warden of the boiling rock either yeah and he'd rather yeah. be governor of some city or something. Yes, that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, so May is there and she says, we all know that's a lie. And then we cut out. We don't get to see the next part. But in another part of the prison, the warden is re-entering Chitsang's uh, torture cell. 
And we see two beefy guards are holding Chit Sang's chair upside down at, that he's bolted to. And the blood is rushing to his head and he's clearly in pain and struggling. It's a pretty brutal scene to walk in on. Yeah, it's, it's only genuinely a, torture. Yes, it's only for a second. They don't like linger on it, but it's like you don't know what else happened in that time too. Well, and it's um, it's interesting t- again, they're not thinking of this, but like what this probably comes out in 2007-89 somewhere in there. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a big public debate about torturing prisoners happening, you know, <laughs> in in America at this time. So it's very interesting to see them torturing a prisoner for information. Yes. Uh, they throw his chair down to the ground and the warden approaches and says, have you had enough time to think about what I've asked? And Chit Singh says there's one more person involved in the escape, an imposter dressed as a prison guard. And the warden pats Chit Singh's head and leaves the room. So then we're back with Zuko and May explains she's there because the warden is her uncle. Um... I wrote that maybe Hockey is the one that let her know <laughs> that, that Zuko was there. I just need Hockey to still be in this show. I love that every every potential messenger Hawk is Hockey. Hockey is a mercenary of you know, like he he can be bought and sold for these things. He's not committed to a certain side. Well, right? I need to go back and remember when we left Hockey. Was he he was sent sending word somewhere, wasn't he? I think so. I don't remember. <laughs> now I kind of want to know because I want to know if, like did that mess is that message going to end up meaning something at the end? Uh, yeah, I need like I need a an episode or even like a graphic novel that's like hockey alone and be like what has hockey been up to, you know? <laughs> I think it'd be amazing. <laughs> it might so- be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not. <laughs> so May holds up the letter that Zuko wrote to her saying she doesn't know him after all, right? Um, she's like, all I got is a letter. You could have at least looked me in the eye when you ripped out my heart. And then she begins to read the letter aloud to him in what is another form of emotional torture, I mm-hmm. would say. She says, dear May, I'm sorry that you have to find out this way, but I'm leaving. And she holds the scroll and paces behind him as she reads it. And Zuko says, stop, this isn't about you. This is about the Fire Nation. And May says, thanks, Zuko. That makes me feel all better. And she throws the letter at his head. And he stands up to face her, saying that he had to do this to save his country. And May said, save it? You're betraying your country. And Zuko says, that's not how I see it. So one of the things that I love about this scene, and I'm only noticing it now, basically the third time through as I'm, as, as you're talking through it is she makes this um, comment at the beginning uh, when she talks about the letter, she says, uh, uh, maybe I didn't know you as well as I thought, right? Mm -hmm. Where I'm trying to find this in your notes here. Oh uh, yeah, that I did, did. She didn't know him as well as she, uh, didn't know doesn't know him after all, right? Mm-hmm. A theme in this episode is about how well do you know people. Mm. Um, so it's very interesting. I and and I noticed it coming up later. I didn't clock it in in this scene, but it's really interesting. You know, um, May talking about not thinking she knows someone and then realizing that she doesn't know them is going to be really important later on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's also, 
I mean, I'm so, I, I love May. This time around watching this series, I, I hated her the first time, truth, truth be told. And now watching it again, I'm like, she's great. And I think she does really know him. It's just she doesn't know this part of him. Like, I think she does see quite a bit of who Zuko is and who he has potential to be. But um, is still very steeped in the propaganda. And I think, as we'll see this episode play out, play out, I think what she's also saying is, you don't know me. Yeah. Like... I mean, there there is this sense of like 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 because the, the the unasked question here is like when he had left, if he had asked her to come with him, would she yeah. have gone? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because because her saying you know I don't know you could be her saying like I thought you were the type of person who knew that I would go with you anywhere. That it, right. you know, that like, because, because it is interesting when he's like, it's not about you. It's about the fire nation. It's like, well, that's supposed to make me feel better. Of course, this is about me. This is my life, yeah. you know? And it's like, so he's like, she's like, well, how, how can you just like, not understand that I'm part of this drama playing out between us? So like, I, mm-hmm. I really, I miss my first time through. I may was my. Uh, was was a character extremely low for me when we first met her at Amashu because it seemed like uh, a lazy uh, character thing of like, oh, here's the angsty teen who's like, yep. oh, this is so awful. Again, I wasn't giving the show credit to be like, we're actually going to round this person out in really interesting ways. I think yeah. she's kind of amazing. Yes, for sure. So then in her cell, in Suki's cell, we see that she, in her downtime, just practices fighting. She's kicking and jabbing at the air in very impressive ways. Does that make you think of anyone? Iroh! Yeah. Oh, yeah. Training in prison, getting ready for for an opportunity. These are like two of my favorite characters, man. Kindred spirits. Um... As she's fighting, the door opens and Sokka appears and tells her to keep her voice down. That he doesn't have a lot of time to fill her in and that the guards are maybe on to him. And he tells her the plan that they're going to escape on the gondola. And he says, we're going to commandeer the gondola and take a hostage with us so they won't cut the lines. And Suki takes his hands in hers and says, you'll never make it onto the gondola. There's too many guards. And Sokka says that they thought of this, uh, and so what they need is a distraction. They need a prison riot. And Suki counters and says that the warden won't care about a captive and will cut the lines regardless. And Sokka says, not if the warden is the captive. And they hear a noise in the hallway. They embrace quickly. Sokka bows out, but not before two guards confront him on the outside. And so we see a male guard say that the warden asked for him. And Sokka says, why? And the guard's like, I didn't ask. And so Sokka tries to play it cool, says he's busy, but two more guards enter and grab his arms and lead him away. So clearly he is a suspect. Yeah, and and, and like this was the moment when I felt like concerned. Yeah. <laughs> concerned for Sokka that this seemed like, I how how does he not get revealed? Yes, because we already know that uh, that uh, Chit Sang has has turned. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, on the roof of the prison, we see Sokka joins a line up of nine other young male guards, 
and they're all the suspects. And the warden has two guards escort Chitsang to the lineup to rat out the imposter. And Sokka shakes, his teeth are chattering. But, Ch- but Chitsang instead, as he's walking down the line, he points at the man from the last episode who threw him into the cooler. The, the mean guard who made him, who, who wanted to force him to bow. And he says that that's the imposter. And the guard grabs Chitsang's shirt, enraged, um, denies that he's an imposter, but two other guards take him away anyway. And Sokka lets out a sigh of relief. So we see Chitsang's got some loyalty. Right, he, or he's at least working an angle. Like, like he's, he, Chitsang has this, um, well, it's unfair to him. I was going to say innate sense of like, the currency of the moment and, and how mm. to use it. Maybe it's not innate. Maybe he's highly educated and has learned this, but like he definitely understands w- where there is value, who there's value in. I mean, whether he's loyal or not is we don't know, but we know that he knows there's more value in what he could get from Sokka than what yeah. he could get from the warden. Cause he knows the warden's never going to let him out of prison, but Sokka actually came up with a legit plan for escape so he and he knows that Sokka has no interest in staying there that yes. he's gonna he's gonna leave at some point and Chitsang wants to be there with him plus he gets the side benefit of ratting out the guy who put him in the cooler in the first place yeah that's so so there's a double it's a it's another set of power there too yeah Oh, the revenge is so good. So the warden, then we see the warden entering a room where the imposter guard um, is held. The the guard who's not really the imposter, but was just ratted out. He's shackled to a chair like Chitsang had been. And this guard pleads with the warden, says it wasn't him, that everything, even that Chitsang used the very cooler he was thrown into, that all of that was just a coincidence. And here is, if we're thinking about hubris, here is a moment of hubris on the part of the warden to be like, no, this guy wouldn't lie. Like, like he's just assuming he wouldn't lie to me because I tortured him and got this information out of him. So, of course, my information must be correct. So it doesn't matter what you have to say. Yes, he believes himself to be the most powerful person on that island. But really, Sokka's got something that he doesn't have. Yeah. And maybe somebody more powerful will enter the room. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) So someone appears at the door and a guard tells the warden he has a visitor. And the warden spins around, literally like spits and yells, who told you to interrupt me? And in the doorway stands Azula. She says, I did. And the warden bows down immediately in respect and in shame. And he welcomes her to the Fire Nation's most exemplary prison. And Azula asks after the guard in the chair. And when the warden begins to explain the escape plan, Azula interrupts him and says, you're wasting your time. That's not one of them. And the warden says, how do you know? And Azula says, because I'm a people person. And she walks out of the room smirking. And I love how this seed is planted here of Azula's hubris about because because we've only seen her as the most in control person, the person playing 4D chess who's always six steps ahead of everyone. Yes. So <clears throat> when she said, and she's not wrong in that this is the um, she she's right in this moment that this guard has nothing to do with it, and he's not the she's not the person that that he's looking for. But where her hubris comes in is she has this. Um, 
potentially inflated sense of her own ability to read and understand people and human nature. Yep. Yep. I also love the idea. Just her saying I'm a people person in general is amazing. Like yes. we know what she means by that, but like she is the least people person there ever was. Right. <laughs> um, so she walks out of the room smiling, knowing that she um, she knows more than even the warden does. Meanwhile, Sokka is approaching another young guard standing patrol inside the prison. And Sokka says to him that they have orders to let the prisoners into the yard. And when the young guard says this doesn't make sense, you know, we're in a lockdown, Sokka says, oh, okay, well, I'll just go tell the warden that you said that. I'm sure he'll be glad to hear about you undermining his authority. And the young guard, clearly played by Sokka, begins to sweat and tell Sokka, you know, just wait. Like, I, I was just confused. And Sokka says, the warden's in a bad mood and irrational. So if you ask me, it's best not to question it and just do what he says. And the guard follows through with the order right away. He turns some <laughs> random vague levers somewhere and opens all the doors on command. Now, <clears throat> this is one of these scenes that you could look at and be like, come on like he's just gonna walk up and like and 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 get this to happen and i felt that way when i watched when i first watched it and then oddly last night uh as i was preparing for this i was i watched a movie uh a Werner herzog documentary that we're going to be watching for video store called lo and behold reveries on the connected world um which is this 2015 i think documentary from Werner herzog about the internet and one of the people that he talks to is this guy named Kevin Mitnick. Now, this is going to circle around. <laughs> Kevin Mitnick is regarded as, like, the king of hackers. He's this, like, middle-aged guy at this point. Mm. And Mitnick told this... They were talking about security and cybersecurity and all these things. And Mitnick was making this point of, like, that the biggest hole in any security system is human beings. He says it's not the software. It's not this, It's human beings. And he told this story of how he made a phone call to, like, corp, to Motor Motorola corporate. And he, he knew, like, two pieces of information... And he used that and like, and, and he tells the story about how even within this one phone call or a couple phone calls, he would listen to what people said or revealed to him and would get enough information that on the next call, he would then have another piece of information. And after three phone calls, he got the source code to like all the Motorola phone, like the, like this Holy grail of source code stuff that yeah. for a hacker that would, and, and it was, and he, his whole point was like, Oh, if you know how to talk to people, yeah. um, he says, like, that's actually the biggest hole in security. So when I saw this scene again this morning, I was like, that's what Mitnick's talking about is like, what what got the prison doors opened? The insecurity of this young prison guard, uh, assuming the person who gave him an order must know what they're talking about. And no one would ever come and try to con him, you know, and, and, and in the same way, the, the warden who's assuming well, of course, Chit Sang's not going to point to the wrong person. You know, he's going to, what I did to him, he's going to, like, all the, the big security holes here are human holes. Yeah. Even so, it's even if it is a perfectly built prison, that that's the key to to uh, undermining security is the human element. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Um, yeah, if you go into something with enough authority, you can really, you can get way farther. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's what, that's what Azula does. 
Like, I don't even know if, I mean, we know that Azula is clearly a genius, but I think a lot of the times is like, she just, she knows how to say the right things, how to express that she, she knows how to be menacing, like Mm -hmm. all of these different ways to like gaslight people into, (laughs) into thinking they're wrong and she's right. Well, it, it's interesting because both of them, both both Sokka in this moment and Azula, like they're great. And I'm going to use a gendered term because we only use it this way. They're great con, con men, right? Yeah. And when you yeah. think of con men, the the phrase con men and or a con, what does the word con mean? Uh, I don't know. What does it mean? Actually, I never it's, thought it's, about that. It's a shortened version of confidence man. No way! Yeah, I actually so, didn't know that. Yeah, so it's like partially, it's like how do you how do you con somebody? For one thing, yeah. it takes supreme confidence, yeah. right? And you you gain that you gain the confidence of other people, right? Um, so so that that's what it is, and so so there is so both of them, you know, if you say something, what you said, if you say something with enough confidence and enough seeming authority, yeah, yeah. that's wild. That blew my mind, Sam. <laughs> I had no idea. Yes, and that is the way that Azula gets through. And and it, it I love that it's these two characters mirroring each other too. Um because they both are steps and steps ahead. Um they both are I think the the wisest people or the 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 most ingenious people that we come across in the series. So, um as the doors slide open and the prisoners head for the yard, we see Suki leave her cell. And then we also see Hakoda in his cell about to leave as well. So, things so the are plan is happen. going. Yeah. Yes. In the yard, we have an aerial shot. We see uh, dozens, if not maybe hundreds of prisoners rush into the fresh air. And Hakoda, Suki, and Sokka meet up among the crowd. And they wonder how they're going to start a riot. Another hilarious scene ensues. Hakoda smiles and he's like, um, I'll show them, right? And he walks into a group of massive, muscular prisoners, and he shoves the largest of the crew. And Just the like man, I said before, you hit the biggest guy. Yes, exactly. And this man, he is the biggest. He has a huge, jagged scar down his face. He has a shaved head. He has tattoos. Like, this is the person that you do not want to mess with. He flips around, and he says, hey, what'd you do that for? That hurt my feelings. And Hakoda's like aren't you mad at me? And the man said, oh, well, you know, normally I would be, but I've been learning to control my anger. And Sokka stands mouth agape until Chit Sang grabs his shoulder and says he has a plan. I love this scene because it, it's not the same thing, but it reminds me of um, uh, one of my favorite scenes in Pulp Fiction. I, there's a lot of random references in this, <laughs> in, in, uh, where towards the end of the movie, this is not exactly a spoiler, um, he's uh, Jules Winfield, the uh, the person that Samuel L. Jackson plays, is pointing a gun at uh, the Tim Roth character, and he recites the the faux Bible verse Ezekiel twenty five seventeen, and he says he says normally <laughs> anyone who's ever heard me say that gets a bullet in his head, but I'm going through a change of life right now, and he's like <laughs> I'm in a tra-, he says I'm in a transition period in my life right now, and and then he goes off and makes this speech. So this reminded me of that. It's like normally somebody who pushes me in the prison yard would get beat up, but I'm working on my emotions and. <laughs> to control my anger it's so funny so unexpected um and so chit sang then grabs Sokka's shoulder and says you know Sokka, you're lucky i didn't rat you out and he says that the price for this generosity 
as a spot in their next escape plan. And Sokka agrees, but he says to start the escape plan, they have to start a riot. And he was like, you wouldn't happen to know how to start one, would you? And Chitsang says, a prison riot, please. <laughs> love it. <laughs> I love his attitude. And he pushes past Sokka. He walks up to a random prisoner, grabs him by the collar, hoists him up over his head, walks into a crowd of prisoners nearby, tossing the man up and down in the air, and each time yelling, riot, riot, riot. And the, the prisoners begin to fight. And they even firebend into the sky. And we see smoke rising everywhere. It's chaos. And Hakoda is watching and says, impressive. And the scarred prisoner is like, forget about controlling my anger. Let's riot. <laughs> I noticed the like uh, the, the firebending into the air. And, it's, and it, that's where, again, I was reminded, like, they've done nothing to control the great power that these people have. Yeah. And all they need is Chitsang running around with a man <laughs> that he's throwing in the air saying riot for it to be enough to have like all of this power unleashed. That being said, though, I don't know the history of this, but I wouldn't be surprised if there wasn't prison riots in Alcatraz. And you know what? Mm. Does it matter? Like, okay, you guys riot, you fight with each other, you do whatever, but like you're still here. Yeah. You know, and you get that out of your system and then what? And that's, like, another reason why it's probably not, like, the place you want to work in the Fire Nation, right? Is, like, working at this prison where it's, like, yeah, they might act up. They might use what they have. And in the end, like, it doesn't really matter. They're not going to escape. Uh, but in the meantime, like, you might get really messed up as a guard because of that. So, um, <laughs> so the riot begins, and the, ward, the warden runs out onto a balcony a few floors up from the yard. And he yells at his guards and says, who let the prisoners into the yard? This is supposed to be a lockdown. And we see the young guard who Sokka tricked slowly back away from the warden, knowing like, oh, yeah, this was, I guess, my, my big mistake. So then inside the cell with Zuko and Mei, a guard runs to protect may from the riot and may says i don't need any protection and zuko laughs and says believe me she doesn't and the guard walks forward continuing to tell may the warden's orders when zuko suddenly shoots fire at his feet and dashes past the guard and out the door and may rushes to the door too but zuko slams it in her face locking her inside and they stare momentarily at each other through the porthole peephole whatever Again, don't know what this is. Um, but it's a really tender moment, too. It's, a, it's a, about a second where they linger a little longer, and you see that both of their eyes are full of pain. Because I remember the first time I watched this, not knowing anything else that happens, I saw that moment, and I, and I, I almost said out loud, you know she would go with you. Yeah. Now, I don't know that, but, like, that was my sense there is like what she was trying to tell him before was I would have gone with you. Mm -hmm. I'm, I am assuming. And then that look again was like, really you're doing this again. Like, yeah. like, like I would go with you. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's a great piece of filmmaking. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So then back in the yard, Zuko runs through the rioters and joins Chitsang, Hakoda, Suki and Saka. And Sokka says that they have to grab the warden. This is the next part of their big plan. 
And across the yard and across all of the rioters and several stories above them uh, is where the warden is. <laughs> so they have to get to the warden, then get to the gondola. And when Zuko asks Sokka, you know, how are you planning to make this happen? Sokka doesn't have an answer. And Zuko chastises him for not thinking things through. And Sokka yells frantically and says, I thought you told me it's okay to not think everything through. And they continue to stress and fight over this. And Chitsang interrupts them and he's like, hey, fellas, I think your girlfriend's taking care of it. And now we proceed to one of the great moments in the history of, of animation. It's so good. We see Suki running to the edge of the riot. She leaps onto the back of a large prisoner and then continues to jump and run across the backs and the heads of prisoners, avoiding punches and attacks of the riot below her. And she makes it to the prison wall on the other side and she scales the stones up story after story. And she does some like really sick acrobatic gymnastic types of leaps and spirals in the process, uh, getting her from story to story. I mean, all I can describe is like, she turns into Spider-Man. Like it's, yes. it's so cool. It's like superhuman. Yeah. But it also seems consistent with like the stuff she's been trained to do. And, and, you know, and I think it's, so I think it's important that we see her training in the prison cell too, is like, she's, she is preparing herself for any moment to like, to take an opportunity if it's there. Yeah. It's superhuman, but believable. Because it's Suki. Because yeah, I've it's, seen... it's grounded in a kind of way, even though she's... I mean, I said Spider-Man. What it really is, is she's like one of the people from like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, where it's mm. it's like they're, they're doing things that are impossible. And obviously, they're impossible. But they're done in a way where it's like, I guess if somebody got so good at like parkour and all these things, mm. it's like, maybe you could actually do that. You know, like yeah. it's, it's kind of amazing. Yeah. Not yes, it, for sure. Like parkour or gymnastics or any of, the, or mm -hmm. martial arts, like all of these. But there's a point trainings. where she's climbing up like a wall and, but it's like, <laughs> but you're like, actually maybe like maybe yeah. she could get her feet just enough, like toe grip on the brick to like, to do that. Yeah. yeah it's really cool. And then it's like, how much of her life is just training? Like, I also want a Suki alone. Don't you want Suki alone? She's I would been also alone for a long time, though. Yeah, but like you just like I'm just kidding. I, I know what you mean. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I I totally like 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 she is she is, and I said this a long time ago, and I'm very proud. Like I've been on the Suki train since Kyoshi Warriors. She 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 is, I think, my favorite character. Yeah, you know, for like for a character who you don't get to see a lot of, and this this moment vindicated it. It's like, yep, see, yes. So as uh, as she's climbing scaling walls story after story some of the guards on the second floor charge at her and they're shooting fire and she's able to dodge them and she like uh, slides underneath the fire uh, with ease and she then scales another floor and lands down um the balcony from the warden so she's on the same level as him now and she races slides under a guard running towards her and grabs the warden by an arm before he can strike and we have one still moment with no action because this scene has been action packed, but there's one quick breath when the warden stares into her eyes and she has him uh, in her arms and he says, you wouldn't dare. 
and without a word, Sugi grabs his other arm effortlessly and ties up his wrists behind his back, and then ties and muffles his mouth and to keep him quiet, and says, Sorry, Warden, you're my prisoner now. So cool. And um, I will say, this this scene is when, and it's good, this is going to be true for basically the rest of this um, this episode. It becomes a big... I'm going to say this, a word that I that I normally would say, like, I don't mean as a compliment. I don't love in the Marvel movies the big, like, action set pieces. Mm. Except there are sometimes when it when they're just jaw-dropping. And the rest of this episode kind of becomes, it's like you're watching Avengers. It's, it's like, actually, mm. specifically, it's like you're watching Captain America Civil War. I assume you haven't seen Captain America Civil War. I have not. Okay. I, again, I am not like a Marvel fan, but uh, in Captain America Civil War, it leads to this point where like, it's like characters keep showing up as part of this. And then there is this climactic battle where it's just like, wait a minute, everybody's kind of here and everybody's part of this. And the, the rest of this episode feels like that, you know? Yes. And, and, and what's cool about it is like in... Uh, something like Marvel, you have this combination of some people who are kind of grounded characters who have a particular superpower. Um, Some are people who have just sort of trained themselves or used technology to become a superhero. Some people Mm -hmm. have the power of gods and it's, so it's like, and it's like, even this feels like this combination of, you know, you have, you have Suki who is just this like, well-trained super soldier and then you have benders who can do these these types of things and it's just like i love where the rest of this goes yeah you have the best of the best and it's like even like you were saying i'm not super into action sets either but like sometimes they can be spellbinding when it's the best of the best um and that's what we get so a moment later the rest of the escapees meet up with suki on the balcony and they're all like heaving and huffing after scaling the walls to to try to get to her i thought they just took the stairs <laughs> oh maybe and I, think, they did. I think that's the joke is they took the stairs and they're like oh, we're exhausted and she just like <laughs> did all this and and it's, it's just fine it's a great character detail. oh you know what i forgot that they probably have stairs in them <laughs> Do you just have to scale the wall to get anywhere? <laughs> yes, they probably like took a, some stairs, some elevators. Yeah. So Chitsang says that's some girl, and Sokka is proud and love struck, and he's like, "Yeah, tell me about it." So then we see this group of escapees sprint to the gondola on a narrow bridge, uh, and they're high up at the top of this Alcatraz-like prison. And the warden is still gagged, gagged, and he's tossed over Chit Sang's broad shoulders. And as they draw near to the gondola, guards send fire at them. But Zuko pushes back the crew and leaps ahead in a moment to protect them all. And he stamps out the fire and shoots his own spiraling flames. So here's some cool things about Zuko, I think, uh, moving forward. We see him protecting people. Uh, like putting himself in the line of fire, he does this move where he where fire comes at him, and instead of redirecting it back, he stamps it out, uh, which is not something I think we've seen much. And also, uh, the creators were really purposeful after the firebending masters episode when Zuko understands that it, 
firebending doesn't need to come from rage. Um, for the rest of the series, instead of grunting every time he creates fire, it's silence. So if you watch before and after, you can tell like mm. any episode, you can be like, oh, he hasn't he hasn't learned about firebending yet. Like Iroh has because he's grunting whenever he shoots fire. So uh, he clearly has a command and it's a command that doesn't require rage. And as they approach these guards, they say, back off. We've got the warden and the four guards step aside and the escapees are able to slip between them and onto the gondola. Um, and Zuko waits behind to pull the gondola's lever and he holds it down so it can begin the journey across the lava lake. And then he crushes this lever with his feet to keep the lever in motion. And the gondola is already retreating. And so he has to race up to the edge of this platform, leap off the edge of it, and then grab Sokka's forearm uh, as Sokka swings, um, swings it kind of out of the car and, and Zuko's able to like fling himself up into the gondola. It's a cool scene. It's some good hero stuff. Yes, for sure. And Sokka asked, why did you do that Zuko? And Zuko explains that it's so that they can't stop them to which Sokka responds, way to think ahead. <laughs> which and, is great because this has been a whole episode about not having plans, not thinking ahead. And, and we see yes. Zuko, Zuko has actually come full circle to learn, like, actually planning matters. Yes, they keep going back and forth over, like, should we have plans? Should we not have plans? So I love that this bit continues. And Hakoda spots two figures standing on the edge of the platform uh, as they retreat. And they're Azula and Ty Lee. So now Ty Lee is on the scene, too. And guards are bowing all around them. And Hakoda says, who's that? And Zuko says, that's a problem. It's my sister and her friend. And then we see Azula gauging the situation. Uh, she sees that this, that uh, everyone is escaping with the warden on the gondola. She agrees that this cannot be something that happens, right? So she steals a pair of handcuffs from the belt loop of a nearby guard and darts to the edge of the platform toward the gondola. Meanwhile, we see Tylee, without a word, but knowing exactly what's needed of her, flip jumps to the two cable lines that are holding the cable car and dashes across one of them. Uh, and Azula bends blue fire from her hands like a jetpack and soars to the cable high above her, latching one of her wrists of the handcuffs onto the line, um, and she holds her other wrist and continues zooming toward the gondola with this blue fire jetpack. And and this again, talking about Marvel movies, like she looks like Iron Man, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Like like that's kind of how she's flying a little bit, and uh, it's super cool. Yes, even the, yes, even the way that her hands are like down at her sides like a jetpack, she it's like uh, even her posture looks like a superhero uh, mm -hmm. or a supervillain, I guess. Um, so, and I was like, girl, you could have been doing this all the time. Like, this could just be how she travels. Right. Right? I also love that I, part of it, I think, is a kind of, you know, we've talked about plan or not plan. I think it also might be an improvisation. She's maybe never done this before, but it's just like, I I bet I can do this, right? Yeah. Because, like, like, I bet I could use this fire to propel myself this way. I kind of like it. That it, yeah. it also wasn't like a moment of what am I going to do? It was just, she just snapped into action. Yeah. And I kind of, I, 
it's also interesting to think about we haven't seen characters airbend and she's not airbending but she's firebending to to fly Mm -hmm. (laughs) and the only people we've ever seen come close to that are people who had to invent things in order to fly Mm -hmm. and so it's like kind of cool to see this villain who has matched everyone and the and team avatar uh throughout to be like oh yeah and also i can do this thing that isn't airbending but it's really close to airbending so as ty lee and azula race towards the gondola suki says this is the rematch i've been waiting for and zuko nods with her in agreement and he climbs up the side of the gondola and suki and Sokka follow him to the roof leaving everyone else inside the cable car and azula and ty lee reach them and Tylee leaps to one side of the gondola roof and Azula on the other side, surrounding the three of them. And Azula roundhouse kicks blue fire towards, um, I wrote in my notes, Suko. That was on accident, but it's, it's kind, kind of, of perfect. Like, it's kind of perfect. She, she kicks this blue fire towards both Sokka and Zuko, uh, who are, uh, who meet her with equal force um, through Zuko's orange flames. Meanwhile, on the other side, Suki is taking on Ty Lee in a fight in hand-to-hand combat. What's great about this fight is, like, I, it's never occurred to me that this is the fight I most want to see, but it kind of is. Right? Because <laughs> neither of them are benders, but both seem about as good as you can be in just hand-to-hand stuff. Yes. And so we see Suko, or Suki <laughs> punching Ty Lee's arms uh, before Tylee can make contact with her body and paralyze Suki. Um, so she's a step ahead of Tylee, and we've never really seen that equal match before. Uh, and Sokka, uh, then we go back to Sokka and Zuko fighting Azula. And there's this cool sequence um, where Sokka and Zuko, again, kind of become like one unit working together. And so... Uh, Zuko is stamping out Azula's flames as they come towards them. And then when, Z- when Azula kind of has to like take a break or kind of charge up or whatever she needs to do, Sokka slides out from behind Zuko and charges at Azula and slashes his sword at her. And she's able to dodge the blows uh, because it's Azula. Uh, and when she firebends as a response to Sokka, Sokka is able to step back behind Zuko for Zuko to then interrupt the blast with his own firebending. And so they kind of become like one body moving, right? Uh, And able to do all of these different, uh, able to weaponize themselves in different ways. What I like about that is it it sort of is this kind of dance then uh, between Mm -hmm. the two of them. And what we learned in the, the firebending masters is that there is this kind of dance to this. So it is, it's really interesting. I like that. Yeah. And um, on Avatar Wiki, this is a direct quote. It says, Zuko incorporates moves from the dancing dragon to block many fire blasts, uh, including ones from Azula, showing that the dancing dragon is not just a novice firebending move, but a very powerful form that can be used for defense and attack. So they are actually like using a lot of the same motions of the dancing dragon. So Sokka and Zuko continue taking turns this way like a dance and they drive Azula to the edge of the roof and she nearly falls off, but she's able to catch herself. And there's this moment again, like another breath where we see her bouncing on two hands with her body horizontal, like a board in the air, half of her body floating over the open air, uh, over this lava lake. 
And she brings her legs then underneath and kicks through her arms, uh, kicking forward at the boys and shooting fireballs at them. And then inside the gondola, the warden is able to break loose from the bounds in his hands and around his mouth. And he bellows to the soldiers on the other side on the platform. He says, cut the line. And the soldiers for a second weigh this decision and they realize like the warden's going to die if we cut the line. Uh, but this is something that the warden is clearly okay with. Now, one of the things that uh, I, I was wondering in, in, in this watch through, I realized and it made me sad was I was wondering who tied the warden up that he was able to escape and it was Suki. And it does make me mad that Suki didn't do a good job of, of tying him up. That's true. Hmm. That's tr also, but it's like mm, other people could have helped. <laughs> right? like, but yeah, but it was part of that cool move when she like snaps to action. And it's just like, oh, yeah. I, I don't like, I wish there would have been something else. I don't like that. It was just like, clearly she didn't do a good enough job of tying him up. Yeah. Cause, right. cause she seems so precise in what she does that. I actually, it's a nitpick, but it's something that I don't like. Yeah, I didn't notice that either. Mm. So um, he is able, though, to to um, tell the soldiers to cut the line. And they decide to do so. That, so they shove this giant metal rod into the station that's holding the, the cable car ropes. And it brings the car to a halt. And that throws off the five fighters that are on the roof, right? Like fro throws them off balance and Sokka slides down the side of it. Uh, but before he falls all the way to the ground, Zuko, or all the way to the lake, Zuko's able to catch his arm just in time and lift him to safety. So it's kind of like they are, uh, Zuko is repaying the debt of saving Sokka, um, or uh, uh, of Sokka saving Zuko um, at the start of this gondola ride. I like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Azula and Tylee, seeing that the line is about to be cut, leap onto the other car. So there's this other car that's going into uh, the prison at the same time. They're able to jump onto it um, as and head towards the prison. And at this, we get two responses from the two girls. So we see Azula, cold and uncaring as usual, say goodbye, Zuko, knowing that if the line is cut, her brother will die a terrible death in boiling lava. You know what that sounds like? A sociopath. <laughs> right? And Ty Lee looks on besides, beside Azula, but her eyes are heavy um, because she knows that everyone in the other car is going to die. So the soldiers on the platform saw at the line, but something or someone stops them. And so as they're sawing at the line, we see the bodies of these soldiers begin to like fly across the platform. And it's not, it's not really known why this is happening. And they start like sticking to walls and their arms are stuck. And we realize they're stuck because of throwing darts. And we hear a soldier yell, what are you doing? And then we see May's face with like the volcano behind her in an epic shot saying, saving the jerk who dumped me. And again, here's where we get to that that sort of Marvel set piece of like, and we're bringing in another person and another person. You know, everybody gets their 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 sort of moment in this to shift the tide of the of the battle. Mm hmm. So she is able to disarm all of the advancing soldiers with her throwing knives uh, in some pretty cool moves. 
and the car begins to move again. And everyone stares in amazement at the platform from the gondola. And Sokka says, who's that? And Zuko, shocked, says, it's May. And Azula on the incoming car is equally confused, equally shocked. So I felt like, I mean, this was that moment where the pain that I was felt like I was reading into May in terms of like, I would have gone with you. It just, this is so tough because I look at it and it's like, she would have gone with him. <laughs> like yeah. she could be on that gondola. Yeah, for sure. But also like a good thing that she wasn't. Right, uh, right. Well, yeah. not for May, but yeah. Right. <laughs> but if, I guess for the story of the Avatar. Yes. So uh, the hero's car is able to make it to the other side because of May's um, self-sacrifice, really. And everyone on board runs out, except for Chitsang, who takes a step out and then tosses the warden back into the car. Um, and the warden is gagged again. And Hakoda turns around and says, sorry, Warden, your record is officially broken. And the crew then runs, uh, but Zuko kind of waits behind and he realizes something. And he's like, I have an idea. My sister took something to get to this island. And so they begin to look around and they realize that there's a Fire Nation blimp waiting along the shore. Uh, so they have a way out and they steal Azula's way in. Back on the platform at the prison, Two guards hold May, and Azula ushers them, ushers the guard away and says, I never expected this from you, May. And we see Ty Lee standing between the two girls, and her hands are clasped and near her face like a prayer. She's worried. She's looking between Azula and May. And Azula says, the thing I don't understand is why. Why would you do it? You knew the consequences. And May says, I guess you just don't know people as well as you think you do. You miscalculated. You, uh, I love Zuko more than I fear you. And Azula's face contorts in rage. And she says, no, you miscalculated. You should have feared me more. And she readies her hands to shoot fire or maybe lightning. It seemed as though it might have been lightning. which is Yeah, like, this a, seems like the death sentence coming. Yes, that is a kill shot at May. Uh, but before she's able to do so, Tylee jabs her arms and Azula gasps and she falls to the ground, unmoving, paralyzed. I loved this because because this was one of the things that like I didn't quite. They telegraph it a little, but not entirely like like yeah. like, you know, that Tylee is conflicted, but you don't know which way she's going to tip. And I love when May says, uh, I guess you just don't understand people as well as you think you do. Because here's where we see the 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 payback for Azula's hubris. Because earlier in the episode, she says, well, I'm a people person. Meaning for her, I understand people. I understand people's motivations. I can use that to my advantage. I can manipulate a situation. And May is so aware of this within, within Azula that it must be cutting to Azula to hear her say, well, maybe you just don't understand people as well as you think you do. Right. You miscalculated. And it, yes, it, it clearly got under her skin in, mm -hmm. in a way that nothing else really can, because Azula remains so calm and collected under kind of any situation. And that's why like her face contorting in anger was like such a shock because you don't see that. Like she looked wild 
and um and unhinged. You know also why I know she was shocked and 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 just blown away by this is because this person who claims to know and understand people bothers to ask her. She says the thing I don't understand is why. Yeah. Azula's not the type of person who often asks people why. Yeah. Because she already knows why. Yeah. And I, I honestly think she was like, wait a minute, I don't get it. Yeah. Which yeah, also she... leads me to believe that Azula's probably never loved someone. Oh, yeah. That's so sad. I don't know that we need to feel that bad for Azula. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I mean, it, fe- it feels like an echo of some of the things from the beach. Like, if mm-hmm. we're getting into the psychology of this character, or these characters, is like, I, I do sort of think, like, she doesn't understand the concept of, like, that somebody would love, definitely not the concept of, like, self-sacrificial love. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even when she, at the beach she was talking about, and it's like, a, the beach is, like, the most empathy you get towards Azula I think in the series Uh (laughs) Um, and she talks about how like her mom her mom looked at her like a monster and Azula's like I mean she's right of course but still it hurt yeah it's like she never felt yeah like I don't know that she is someone who who knows what love feels like no and that's a lot of time I mean like that's partially her her fault but also really tragic (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think she respects and admires her father. Yes. I think she played a role in having her mother killed slash exiled. Yes. So it's like, it's like I don't know that she actually ha- is capable of feeling love. Yeah. Again, this is where we're getting into the psychology of being a sociopath or psychopath. That it like that she may actually be unable to feel those things. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why this is such a mystery to her. Because she thought, like, I was playing you. She thought that, like... I, I bet she thought that she somehow got these two, May and Zuko, together. And she was using their relationship as some kind of, like, pawn for something that she wanted to do, right? Mm-hmm. Like, even when Zuko comes back at the start of season three and she's like... I, she'll be like, oh, have you seen May? Or, like, you make these side comments of, like... Oh, you two, you you care about each other. Almost like she is dictating even their relationship. Mm-hmm. And so for her to be like, oh, wait, this is actually real and not something that I created for my own gain, like that, she can't understand. Um, so we see that the three girls are all shocked by what Ty Lee did. Uh, but before the two girls, Ty Lee and May, are able to escape, a gang of guards grabs them. And they say to Azula, what should we do with them, princess? And Azula says, put them somewhere. I'll never have to see their faces again and let them rot. It just makes me wonder, like, and we'll get into this when we talk about takeaways and themes, but like, what is the next chapter of their story like? Like, Mm. because they're actually at a great place where they could sit and rot uh, in the boiling rock. Because yeah. even though someone has escaped, this is still, I mean, they don't need to relocate these folks. Yeah. Yep. Yep. 
So then back at the Western Air Temple at night, the rest of the original Aang gang bombards Zuko and Sokka with questions as they come out of a Fire Nation blimp that they have never seen before. And Katara says, what happened to the war balloon? And Zuko's like, well, it kind of got destroyed. And Aang says, wow, sounds like a crazy fishing trip. And Toph asked, did you at least get some good meat? And Sokka says, I did. The best meat of all. The meat of friendship and fatherhood. And like, in that moment, Suki and Hakoda walk off the blimp and followed closely by Chit saying, who, in a great moment, lifts up one hand in a hello and says, I'm new. What's up, everybody? <laughs> it's so <laughs> I automatic. Loved it. It's like so robotic and hilarious. And uh, Katara runs to her father. They hug, and Hakoda pulls in Sokka too for an embrace. And Toph says, Seriously, you guys didn't get any meats? <laughs> and we have the end of this two parter episode. It is an instant classic. Truly. I love Chit Sang being in the crew. Yeah, I he's somebody who it's funny, I'm more excited about Chit Sang in the last six episodes than I am about Haru. And you know how pro Haru I am. Yes. Than I am about Haru and the Duke and Pipsqueak combined. Yes. <laughs> like they they haven't shown me much since they've gotten there. Um and and Chit Sang I kind of love the idea of this person who's accident. I would love to watch the last six episodes through the eyes of Chit Sang. Because mm. he's like, he's not there for any ideals. We don't know why he's in prison. Yes. <laughs> you know, like, who knows what this guy did? We don't know anything about his ideals. But now he's like pulled into this epic adventure. It's actually. This is not going to happen, but it's interesting to think of him. It's late in the game to introduce this um, as another version of like a Han Solo type character, right? Because Han Solo gets swept up into this epic revolution, but like, that's not why he's there. Chit Sang just wanted to get off the, off the Island. They could have dropped him off somewhere else and been like, now go. So like, and, and it may be that he just is like, I'm gone and then that would yeah. be total totally makes sense. I have a feeling he's part of this crew now. But he's sort of in it for different reasons which will be really fascinating. Yeah, like the motivations are what like I mean some of it's loyalty especially I I feel like we see that with him. Loyalty is part of it. But also in a Han Solo-y kind of way like just see where this goes, right? Like some of it seems kind of like well let's just I mean, we'll see what I can gain from it, but also like, how is this going to unfold? Yeah, I, I'm I'm very excited. So we have our extended family is now extended more, mm -hmm. right? Because we have Hakoda, Suki, uh, and Chitsang, and and I, I yeah, I I hope they keep him, and I hope they they I hope they they use him as a tool mm -hmm. because he actually what he also provides is like. Suki already knows who Aang is, already knows this ver parts of this story. Hakoda knows who Aang is, already knows much of this story. Chit Sang doesn't know anything about the Avatar. He doesn't know 
that they're waterbenders and an earthbender and yeah. all the stuff that's happened. Who knows how long he's been in prison? He may have no idea what's happening at all. And now he is this like fresh eyed person into this story. I would love to see them get him up to speed on what's yeah. happening. Also really important to have another firebender on the team. I hadn't thought of that. You're right. He's a, he is a bender too. Yeah. And to, and we had talked about like, wow, we have a lot of earthbenders. We have a lot of waterbenders, but like firebenders, I wonder who would join. And it's like, this one was not something I would have seen coming. Well, and it's interesting you say that because the other thing, big takeaway from here is this question of have they gained more allies in this episode? So Chit mm. saying, I assume is on board because they were the key to his freedom. I assume his loyalty lies with them more than it does with his birth home, you know, yeah. in the fire nation. But I think about Ty Lee and may like, are they, is may loyal just to Zuko and is Ty Lee loyal just to just to May? Mm. And how loyal is she to May? Like, 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 how much does that add up to them being allied to this larger cause? Because they seem pretty powerful, mm-hmm. you know, in in the right setting. Is this also showing us that Fire Nation, the Fire Nation people, can be divided? That they, you actually could get a group of some of those Fire Nation allies we've built over the course of this season who are, who are friendly to the Aang gang, to the Avatar, could they rise up as part of this, this war as well? Like, like I just, I'm curious just how much of the Fire Nation they can get on their side because the whole Avatar vibe seems to be this merging of these nations. So to have one of them purely in opposition is a problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it, so I also, and I talked about this at the beginning of, of part one, this is among my three favorite episodes and they all are pretty free of Ang Katara bending. Um, and we talked about sort of why that is, but like, I just, I just want to bring that back up again that like, I think this really, the characters that I'm interested in are the ones who have to live a little bit more grounded in this world. And I really enjoy that. Yeah. I guess this, this and the puppet master are the only two episodes where Aang doesn't fire bend or <laughs> fire bend. Aang doesn't bend at all. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And Zuko alone, which he's not in. That's true. Yes. Yeah. Um, so there are six episodes left because I did double check. We had talked about this the other day. I did double check. <laughs> Sozin's Comet is four, is four episodes long. Yay! <clears throat> so there's only two before we get to what is presumably the end game. Yes. Right, that there will be... Um, presumably there will be... Uh, when we get to that, it's all, I think, of one piece of telling this story. So loose threads that we still have out there... Um, that will either get addressed as part of the end game or, um, or in these next two episodes. So things that I have on my list, I mean, I can, I've added new things to my list, which is, um, which is May and Ty, and Ty Lee. Like, so what's, how are they going to factor into this story? Cause I assume they are, although I can't imagine a fifth prison break <laughs> at this point. So, yes. but maybe, you know, I, I don't know. 
you know, I, 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 I'm unsure. Um, let me think of how we could do that. It could be that they are imprisoned somewhere, presumably mm-hmm. not on Boiling Rock, just because we've already done Boiling Rock. I could imagine. Um, okay, I'm going to pitch you on 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 this. I just thought of this right now. Um, I do think that part of the downfall of the Fire Lord is going to be a revolution in the Fire Nation. Mm. And I could see Zuko as a, you know, the the disgraced prince, the traitor prince, as the leader of that revolution, yep. calling for a new kind of Fire Nation, right? And I could involve part of that, um, part of that revolution involving something like a storming of a Bastille type place, and maybe May and Tylee are are there, and they're mm. sort of freed at that moment. You know, maybe that that's not even the uh, intent of that, but it ends up, you know, as swept up as part of that revolution. That would be cool. So we have May and Ty Lee. We still, after he broke out of prison, we still haven't seen Iroh. (laughs) We don't (laughs) know where he is. We don't know what he's up to. We just Uh, know that he's on the lamb somewhere. And the, yes. And the ghost of Iroh has just been haunting each episode. We're just like, where are you? You're here. You're present in Zuko but like we we I need to see him. Now what's fascinating about this is I wonder how much of that is because the voice actor for Iroh died and they're like we can do this. We have somebody else to do the voice but we don't want to be too centered on him because of that. Like it, it, it is like conspicuous how little Iroh we've gotten. I, I haven't minded it. Like they've done a great job, but it is, they have taken perhaps their best character off the chessboard for, yeah. you know, and even there's been episodes where even when he's in it, he doesn't talk, you know, he's talked only in one or two episodes, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about that the other day, too, that it might have been because of the voice actor dying. Um, I I want to think that that's not the way that they had this already planned out. Like, I would hope because I like that they played it out this way. It's, I think it's, I think yeah, it's if, really fascinating. If that's the reason, it's a brilliant solution to that. Yes. But it could just be, like you said, that they just were like, actually, we, we want to we want. In order for Zuko to become Iroh, like we need to not have Iroh there. Yeah, yeah. It also makes me think about. Um, so when we first started the series, I think I told you that most of the people that I've known and talked to about the series like the second season the best. Did I tell you that? I no, feel like I had mentioned. Okay. Oh, maybe, maybe you did. Yeah. Um, like that's. I think that's Mike and my favorite season. Like I love season three, but I think there's some special place where season two is. And I, I think it might just be because you get Iroh. That like, could be. Don't you think? It, it just feels like I want to go back to the, the happy Iroh moments of season two. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I would say season two, he is maybe the biggest star of season two in some, I mean, Zuko, Zuko, Zuko Iroh is the stuff that you're most excited for. Yeah. And it definitely is the biggest arc of that, even bigger than the bossing say stuff. Yeah, and so like not having his voice in season three very much is definitely a void. Mm-hmm. I I think uh, maybe a loss, but at the same like 
man, I do get it with the voice actor passing away and with like needing Zuko to fulfill this role. Yeah, it makes sense. But it's interesting to think about season two as the 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 one that is usually regarded as the favorite, because I also wonder and we're about to reach this point and maybe we have reached it. We're like at this point, everything now needs to point to the end. Yeah. You know, so like and I think when shows get to the end, by definition, you end up kind of tightening the circle a little bit. Now, the weird part is that usually means shedding characters when we just keep adding, which (laughs) is a, which is really cool because it subverts what a show usually does. Usually, you know, when you're in mid seat, middle seasons, you can just keep adding and expanding and expanding. And then you need to tighten, 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 because you need to get at who this story is really about. Mm. And we just introduced Hakoda, who we've, barely got to really in, uh, interact with Suki who we've probably had less screen time with Suki than we have with Hakoda or mm-hmm. a, close to that. And uh, Chit Sang, who is a brand new character, <laughs> like, which is kind of crazy yeah. that, that the group is just getting bigger in that way. Um, so I applaud them for that, for sort of going against convention, yes. uh, you know, in terms of that. But I wonder if, I mean, they basically have a, a feature-length movie for the last episode. So that, I assume, is enough time to resolve some of this stuff. It mm. really depends on what they do in these next two episodes. Because the other things I have on my list, um, White Lotus. Yes. Like, they just, it's just got to be at some point that this this comes out more. Um, Piando as part of that. Uh, maybe that's where we connect back with Iroh. Um, you know, Iroh is somehow in a White Lotus safe house, maybe with leadership of the White Lotus. Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll see what that group looks like. Speaking um, of White Lotus, I would love Suki to join it, whatever it is. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I, absolutely. Like, because I'm curious, because there is questions lingering of like, not only when will the White Lotus surface, but who is the White Lotus and like, there's I I don't know I honestly don't remember if there's women in the light White Lotus and like if there was going to be a woman who could be in the White Lotus it should be Suki of anyone right yeah exactly I also don't know like what is the White Lotus's connection to bending and not bending yeah beyond the fact that Piando doesn't seem like a firebender right um, yes Boomy is another thing that's sitting out there still. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he was connected to White Lotus like that. That would be sensible at this point, just because we're we're running out of time to like bring him in unless he's brought in with something else. So he also just seems like he would fit that that group. I think the guru will be connected to that potentially. Mm. Um, I feel like there is one more. And it's probably in the end game episode at some point. One more venture into a connection with the spirit world, whether it's the Avatar state and Roku, or whether it's some other reason to go back to the spirit world, something else with that. There's been so much about that that it feels like for the ending to not have not have that seems a little strange. I feel like there hasn't been much spirit world stuff in this season. Yeah. Um, there's been, I mean, there's been some, if you think about the dragon masters and UA and some of that, but there's been a ton. Yeah. 
And the avatar state is that kind of lingering question too of like, because that hasn't been resolved, right? Like we don't really know if, I mean, at this point he can't enter the avatar state. Like that just, that's the definite, like that's. I can't remember. It's funny because we've done the, we've recorded these over such like a choppy period over the summer. Um, I'm trying to remember the last time that the avatar state sort of came up. Because I, I feel like at the end, and with the guru, it was kind of like you you didn't get through all of the chakras. Uh, you were hurt in this semi kind of avatar state, and like you can't, you can't. I feel like it anymore. came up this season, and I, I feel bad. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna Google it right now as we're sitting here, but I feel <laughs> like I feel like that I feel like we we had one more avatar state trip in this season. I thought, oh. but I'm blanking on when that was. Deep apologies to everyone listening. You're probably yeah. screaming out loud. Esme, my daughter, is probably screaming out loud. Oh, it was this, and I can't, I can't uh, think of what it was. The other sorry, thing, Esme. yeah. The other thing that I would say um, is a narrative loose end that I hope they tie up is the Zuko's mother stuff. Whatever, oh. whatever we need to know about that story or about her. Um, and I don't need her, her to be alive. I'm actually, if you if you allowed me to choose whether she was alive or not, I'm not sure. Mm. I'm not sure that I would want her to be alive. I mean, I love Zuko. So like it, for thinking about him as a real person, I would love for him to have an opportunity to connect with his mother again. But like narratively, I don't know where I stand on that. Yeah. Yes. But those, I mean, that's, a, we got to a pretty short list of, things that I feel like need to be resolved in the last six episodes. And then obviously the like overarching story of dealing with the fire Lord. Now, the thing I'm curious about is how this show ends. And what I mean by that is not what is the ending, but how does it end? Mm -hmm. So if we have this four episode feature length, Sozin's Comet episode at the end, um, is it going to have a, return of the king style ending where um in the book it's like i think 100 200 pages past the like defeat of sauron that like it still keeps going because <laughs> mm-hmm. they like they they hash out some things that happen in the world going forward or and even in the movie the the end of sauron is not the end of the movie there, there's like all of these and then another ending and then another end like are we going to get that yeah. Um, or is it going to be the climactic ending and we just get some like coda flash forward stuff for little pieces? That stuff I, I'm curious yeah. about. I, I think, I mean, I would love the Lord of the Rings style ending, except I just don't, I don't know that that works well with the TV show. Right. And there's just not a lot of time. Yeah. And, and I also know Legend of Korra maybe allows for some of that stuff that they at least can. Ref- yeah. flashback refer back so we we may not get it here but i'm curious what the coda is because i can't imagine again i don't think it's going to be this anyway but i can't imagine it's ang standing with one foot on the dead body of the uh of the the fire lord triumphant like like i imagine there is a coda to like well what happens next mm. but i just don't know how much we're going to get i don't think we'll get a lot yeah and I, I i can't remember much of it but i feel like no matter what it would be i Unfortunately, I want it to be satisfying, but I feel like it won't be satisfying because I'll just want to live in this world a little more, mm-hmm. you know? 
Well, it also um, won't be satisfying because it will be, like I said, it'll be all that's all that is left. Yeah. Um, and and it will mean of all the possibilities it could be, it will now be what it is. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think as as the 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 minutes and seconds come to a close when we get to the end of this, there will be a kind of melancholy to like, oh, that's that's the end of this journey. And yet at the same time like the star Wars franchise, like there is a lot of content out there. Mm -hmm. Um, I joked about Suki alone. There is an actual comic book called Suki alone, or I think it's a graphic novel. I'm not quite sure. Oh really? It's supposed to. Yeah. So it's, it's about uh, her days, her kind of like lost days um, leading up to the prison. And so like there's, and that's just one example. There's a lot of different like books and graphic novels. And like, we have a whole other, we have, the legend of Korra. Like there is so much of the world that is there. That's like, that is Canon. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like you can dive into. Um, And then whatever Avatar studios wants to put out too. Yes. um, I don't know if you saw this week or maybe it was last week, but uh, Netflix released the casting for the live action version of Avatar, the last airbender. Did you see that? I didn't. Is it a movie or a TV show? TV show. Interesting. I think it's a I think it's like a mini series, I think. Don't quote me on that. Uh but oh. the casting looks really good. What, what any highlights? Um they're all actors I don't know. I think okay. they chose actors that were uh lesser known. They're all pretty age appropriate um and also uh much more diverse and representative of like how um how waterbenders and fire nation folks look. So that was like really cool to see. Oh, that's a lot ex- of buzz. That's exciting and interesting. And maybe when we're all done with this, we won't do a uh, episode by episode, but maybe we can do some, some one-offs where we, where we dive into some of these other larger world things. Like I want to, wa- have you watched legend of Korra? No. I'd like to watch that when we're done with this and maybe just do an episode on like a season of legend of Korra. like, like some of that stuff yeah. just kind of periodically I'd, I'd, I'd like to dip in. I'm actually, I would be potentially interested in taking uh, a graphic novel and being like, well, let's read this and talk about it. You know, like, like I could, I could dip my toes into some of those other things I think would be really interesting. Yeah, and it helps to fill that like eventual melancholy we're gonna feel about the end of the series. To be like, there is more that we can go- get into. Mm-hmm. I would be curious if anything they do reaches the heights of this, because mm. um, this is pretty good, <laughs> especially yeah. especially while remaining uh, in line with the like age appropriateness because this is targeted i was i looking on netflix at what it was rated and this is targeted at like seven year olds yeah i think it was like y7 um so it's like you know can because you could obviously do more if you're if you're willing to go out and be like well we're actually we're going to target this more at like 15 year olds or adults it's like but that's not what i'm interested in because because to me that already feels like we're going to strip some of the joy away from this i'm curious if something like Legends of Korra can even, if it even has the joy that this has. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I've only heard things here and there uh, that there are these like tone shifts. It is older. Korra herself is older than Aang is. Mm -hmm. Uh, But 
I think that could also bring a lot of really cool insights too, especially if you think about like the Harry Potter series and like the characters grew up with the audience. And so mm-hmm. like to see Cora be like a young adult and maybe still being able to relate to the kids that grew up on Avatar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm yeah. excited. Yeah, I'm I'm deeply interested. Although we we shouldn't uh, we shouldn't bury Avatar yet. We still have six episodes left. <laughs> True. Um, and uh, I hope to stay on track to keep these coming out each week as we go through these six episodes. We're about to start our academic year, so uh, that gets that gets tricky. I don't know what your life is like. My life gets a little trickier, but in some ways, it also gets more um, controlled. Yeah. So. You know, we're going to be, uh, we're recording, we're still recording out a little bit early. So I think this episode drops in early September. So mm-hmm. hopefully uh, we're, we're almost to the one year anniversary of starting this project. It was over Labor Day weekend. So this yeah. actually, uh, no, this, the last episode I think would have dropped on the like anniversary of, no, no, this episode I think drops on the anniversary or like, oh. the you know, it's a one day shift and think, but I think it's this episode because it would be the after Labor Day, after, after Labor Day weekend, Saturday, I think yeah. was the first one we did. Happy one year. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I wonder if we were to go back a year ago and be like, do you think we'll ever will actually do this and actually finish it? I, I'm. It's kind of amazing to think how close we are. I'm proud of us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> all right, Annie. That is all the time that we have. Uh, this was really a great journey, a great episode. This is this is one that I will rewatch just for the joy of rewatching uh, from time to time. Uh, but that's all the time that we have. We will be back next week to talk about. Book three, fire, chapter 16. The Southern Raiders.